started as any other day. Hey guys, welcome back, Mob, to another edition of Macabre Reality, True Stories of Everyday Horror. What's going on, Matt? What's going on, Josh? Not too much. How you feeling? I feel pretty good. How are you yeah, feeling? Good, good. Blazed and blessed, baby. Blazed and blessed. And you know what else? I'm feeling... I'm feeling a little bit... Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm don't don't take any of this out. Yeah, no, I'm high too. Okay. I'm feeling... What are you trying uh, to say, John? I feel like I want to give a gift. What am I? I'm feeling um, what am I? Generous? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling like where I are you want, going with this? I'm feeling like we want to give them two stories today. Oh, okay. Another another twofer. A twofer. Another twofer. Another. You know, I'm another, not gonna, another. I'm not gonna go with the two girls one cup. Yeah, please. You, mm. but you still did. Another anthology is what you're saying. Another mix. And what's what's bag? the theme of this anthology? Sugar. Sugar, sugar, the sweet, sweet, sweet sugar. I like the sound of that. Hey, you know what? Mm. I got a mad sweet tooth. We got some Swedish fish up in here. Always got Swedish fish. That's how we roll. Yeah, yeah. Literally every episode we have Swedish fish. Mm -hmm. That's how we know we're doing good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we got an extra episode for you today. Two for one. This one is called "A Little Sucrose for Comfort." At seven fifteen p.m. on February seventh, two thousand eight, a series of explosions blew apart a Georgia sugar refinery ultimately killing 14 and injuring 40 others. This is the Savannah River Dixie Crystal Imperial Sugar Refinery Explosion. Built in 1916 in Port Wentworth, Georgia, just outside of Savannah, the refinery had long been owned and operated by Dixie Crystals, which was acquired by Imperial Sugar in 1997, making it the largest processor and refiner of sugar in the U.S. Yes, sir. I know all about Dixie Crystals. Savannah River. Now, it's just over the river from South Carolina. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. You can go over there and they come catch the vapors. You ever been to Savannah? <laughs> oh, I've been to Savannah. You can drink in the streets, sir. Oh yeah, you been there? You been <laughs> down to Savannah for uh, uh, St. Patrick's Day? Oh no! Well, what's your deal? What's you? What you doing right now? I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, have you ever been to Savannah? I've been to Savannah because okay, I've been to Hilton Head a lot. Yeah, Hilton it's, Head is very close by. Yeah. But yeah, I've been there. I've not been to Savannah. I don't, I don't know why. But um, you know? it's very. It's, Old South down there, Old South. Yeah. Very pretty. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah, those oak trees. I guess they're oak trees that overhang the street and all that. Yeah, with the moss on them yeah. and all that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, It's good stuff. And just Dixie Crystals everywhere. Dixie Crystals, yep. I know Dixie. We all if know you, Dixie Crystals. Oh, if you've ever been to a diner mm-hmm. or a, oh, a, yeah. a mom and pop. Road, you, some roadside. You ever just looked in my like cabin? Like in a house, like in somebody's house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, there are Dixie Crystals in that bitch. Yep. I didn't know there was any other sugar. Was there? I don't even know. I, um, I can't think of any off the top of my head, other than like the uh, like the Bilo brand stuff. Clear Value, Clear Value makes sugar. <laughs> the refinery, okay. the refinery, one of the largest Thank in the you. U.S., was and is a sprawling facility located on a 160-acre site along the Savannah River, with multiple buildings for refining, processing, packaging, and warehousing the sugar along with three 100-foot silos for storing sugar prior to processing. 
The refined sugar stored in those silos would be transported to the main building via a complex system of bucket elevators and conveyors to the main building where it would be processed and packaged. Are you with me so far? Yeah, and you know what? <clears throat> I know it's not the most exciting stuff, but you got You got to lay the groundwork, baby. You no. got to lay the. You got to lay the groundwork. Immediately, I'm thinking, what a cool job, right? Because it's like uh, being a trash man. I don't know. You can't that. fuck up. There's sugar. We'll get to that. I get. We'll get to that. But there's like sugar, and you drop some. Oh, there's sugar on the ground. That's funny. You know, that's. It doesn't hurt anything. It's not like the I steel mean, stories. You know, it didn't burn a hole. Well, yeah. The floor. It's not well. <laughs> So, well, it, you know, it wound cute. up being pretty fucking dangerous in its own right. It's Surprisingly sweet. so. I had no idea. Um, I would say that'd be true if you worked in a gummy bear factory. Sure. Then, yeah. yeah if there's gummy bears falling all well, over the floor, that, then that's cute. Come on. What's gummy bears made out of? Not sugar. Come dust. on. They don't explode when you, all right, you know what? It's made out of sugar. So what is gummy bear if it's not just a pile of fucking sugar? Right? Well, well be careful if they use a sugar substitute. Because if you go on the Amazon page for Haribo sugar-free gummy bears, you will you will hear some stories that will shock you. You will blow your they, ass out. They will shock you. Yeah. Oh, I've read them. Over the decades of its operation, the facility had a recurrent problem with spilled granulated sugar and sugar dust accumulating inside many of the buildings. Much of the spillage occurred when the sugar was transported from the silos to the main building. The sugar would pass down through chutes onto a large conveyor belt. However, these chutes would often become clogged by hardened sugar which would cause sugar on the conveyor belt to spill onto the floor. Whenever there was sugar spillage, there would be sugar dust kicked up into the air as well. Hold on. Mm-hmm. So sugar comes down to sugar chute. Yep. And these sugar, and these chutes are like just over the conveyor belt. So if the chute gets mm-hmm. clogged, it'll the, the kind of hardened clump of sugar will just sit on the belt and it'll cause the, sh- the sugar that is already on the belt that's moving down the line to get um, back like backed up or pushed up and then it'll start to pour over onto the sides. Right. Okay. Yeah. I'm with you. Okay. And so you had that kind of sugar spillage and the problem was compounded by uh, several other factors. Uh, they use hammer mills to grind the granulated sugar into powder, which created more sugar dust. Uh, do you know what a hammer mill is? Yes. <clears throat> Tell us what a hammer mill is. Um, it's like a, um, um, a mortar and hammer, a mortar and both type of deal. What's a mortar? But it's like a, it's like a stone or something you crush shit with. Okay. So it's like a, you know, like they crush wheat and stuff like on a wheel mm-hmm. and and a stone. It's the same so, same deal. So it's like a machine that uses little hammers basically to, to pound something mm-hmm. into into, into powder dust. into dust. And so, so are we talking about like um, what's that sh- um, the powder powder yeah. sugar? <laughs> yes. So they, they made different kind of sugar product. They make brown the they make brown sugar. They make other stuff. They and they make powder sugar, and that's the sugar that's powdered. Yes, and that would create more sugar dust. And then workers would use compressed air to clean off machinery, which would further disperse the sugar and the dust. And the dust collection system in the facility was undersized and in disrepair, and it was not connected to the bucket elevators or the conveyor belt where much of the spillage occurred. So just not well, a very I, – like I just imagine this facility um, – well, the, it, the sugar was several inches deep in many areas of the facility, and in the hard-to-clean areas such as overhead beams, ducts, and light fixtures – the accumulated sugar was even worse. So I'm just imagining like, like imagine if this was all cocaine. Think yeah. about that. Like I'm just, so I'm just picturing this place. I'm just seeing white powder everywhere. Yeah, mm-hmm. Several inches deep. Like, like it's like snow everywhere, but imagine if it was all cocaine, you, you wouldn't have to snort any of it. You just go in there and just breathe for a while. Yeah. And you're going to be working for 48 hour shifts, 72 yeah. hour shifts. You make so much money and then your heart <laughs> will explode. Yeah. 
there'd be, <laughs> there'd be so explosions. There'd be other kinds of explosions. Hey, yeah, you're right. So <clears throat> these people are breathing in sugar dust, though. So they, they're I, I, you know, I didn't read about that, anything like that specifically, but I can't imagine it's a very healthy place to work. But mm. I, I don't know. Uh, so why cry over spilt sugar, you might ask? Oh. Josh, do you want to ask? Why would you cry over spilt sugar? Well, under the right conditions, sugar dust will explode. <laughs> Any organic material like sugar can burn. But when such material is turned into dust, it is in an... Uh, so when such material is turned into dust, is in an enclosed space with access to oxygen and is then met with an ignition source like a flame, a chain reaction is created wherein an ignited dust particle will ignite another and so on and so on. Since the dust is airborne and dispersed, it interacts with the surrounding oxygen more easily, creating an explosion. The force of the explosion depends on the enclosure in which the ignition takes place. The aforementioned chain reaction of ignited dust particles creates energy which creates compression and expands the volume of the air. When this occurs faster than the flame burns, there will be an explosion. So that's why it's more dangerous when it's dust than if it were, and in the article I read, they compared to burning a marshmallow or a flame. Mm-hmm. There's not a, the, the, uh, the sugar in the marshmallow delicious does not have as easy. Yeah. It does not have, is not have as easy access to oxygen as all that sugar does, which you have all these particles are dispersed. So there's way more opportunity for it to uh, ignite. Cause all, every single little tiny particle is both uh, combustible and is exposed to air. Yep. And so it creates a chain like a reaction, domino, baby. And then what domino we, effect. And so when, yeah, and so to, to finish that up, according to the National Fire Protection Association, only one thirty-second of an inch of volatile dust covering just five percent of the surface area of a room represents a significant explosion hazard. That's wow, crazy! That is fucking crazy. Is that not? And it was everywhere. They said, and it was all over the place. <clears throat> you know, because they didn't want to sweep. Yeah, no. Apparently, well, I guess they'd gone. I mean, this this refinery had been in operation. Again, it started operations in 1917. Um, Damn. It was built in 1916. It began operations in 1917. It had been operating a long time. They'd had prior explosions and fires and stuff, but nothing like this. And so they we'll, like- we'll get to that in a little bit. But, they, but they, I guess they got a bit complacent. On February 7th, 2008, at the Imperial Sugar Refinery, as, it had, as had happened regularly before, one of the chutes leading to the conveyor belt underneath the silos became clogged again causing sugar to spill and sugar dust to be kicked up into the air. Only this time there was a crucial difference. That tunnel had always been large and ventilated, mitigating the danger. But the prior year, in an effort to prevent potential contamination of the sugar, the refinery enclosed the conveyor belt with stainless steel panels providing no ventilation whatsoever. Prior year, in an effort to prevent potential... I fucking hate... In an effort to prevent potential contamination. In an effort to prevent potential contamination. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. But the prior year. It's like you're about to do a new Hamilton or some shit. <laughs> I wish I knew a fucking Hamilton song well enough to start singing I'm right my, now. giving away my shot. Wait for it. Wait for it. I just want to be in the room where it happens. In the room where it Okay. All right, you got this. But the prior year, in an effort to prevent potential contamination of the... the fuck, that's just... That just doesn't work. Okay, what, how else can I say this? But the prior year... 
I blow out the mic on that one. Yeah, no. But the prior year, in an effort to prevent contamination of the sugar, Imperial Sugar enclosed the conveyor belt with stainless steel panels, providing no ventilation whatsoever. The dust in the conveyor belt enclosure reached extremely dangerous levels, and at 7.15 p.m., likely due to an overheated bearing in the machinery, the sugar dust was ignited. You were so excited about that. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I just want you guys to know out there that Matt told me not to say anything um, off mic real quick after this certain sentence so he could play this fucking clip that i don't even think the microphone even picked up God, if it didn't, <laughs> you can send it to me i'll put it there so if you heard that kaboom that's what it was all right you gotta have to give me a second god he's so proud of himself right now the initial explosion which blew apart the steel enclosure then fueled a chain reaction of further explosions as the accumulated sugar was sent airborne and ignited by the fireball which ignited the sugar dust throughout the facility one source claimed over 30 explosions ripped through the facility. Is that not crazy? Does that sound like yes. a, like an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie? I was going to say Die Hard, but yeah. yeah you want Die Hard? Mm-hmm. Maybe crazier than Die Hard. Oh, though. yeah. Oh. Die Hard like one building exploding, yeah. not like a bunch of buildings who's, who's and silos. The, who's the uh, director that's notorious for like <laughs> over-the-top oh, explosions? Um, the guy that did the, the, the Transformers, Michael Bay? Yeah, Michael Bay. Yeah, yeah dude. Get yeah. him on it. That's That's a Michael Bay shit right there. The blast tore away in entire sections of the refinery, exposing steel girders and concrete foundations. Heavy concrete floors were heaved up, brick walls blasted away, and hallways and stairwells made inaccessible for escape. In addition, most of the lighting was knocked out. Combined with the sprawling layout of the complex and the fact that fire drills had been almost unheard of at the refinery, in fact only five of the hundreds of employees recalled there ever being a fire drill, those inside the facility who were not killed immediately found themselves in a desperate situation Fortunately, they had no preparation or training. Yeah. And again, 14 killed, 40 injured, 112 on site. Yeah. 112 workers were at the refinery when the explosion happened. The tops of two of the three silos were blown off. The top floor of the main building where the processing and packaging was done had collapsed on the floor beneath it. And even in parts of the complex, which were not directly affected by the explosion, there was heavy damage due to the resulting fire which was compounded in some of the older buildings by the use of timber in their construction. Joyce Baker, wife of the local police lieutenant and one of the first people on the scene, said, It was like walking into hell. We had approximately 13 men who were coming out and they were burned, third-degree burns on their upper bodies. Some of, them, some of the burned men had, quote, no skin at all, end quote, and some had skin just dripping off them. That's also a quote. Yeah. Indeed, it took firefighters over a week to put out the fire in most of the complex and recover the bodies of those who died on site, their efforts being slowed by the structural damage to the facility. And in the silos, the fire smoldered for even longer, despite helicopters dumping thousands of gallons of water onto them. And I think they also had a, um, I read they had a tug, like a Coast Guard tug, yeah, tug boat that yep, was like a fire rescue Savannah boat. Savannah Went up to Savannah. And yeah, that's how, cause I mean, these silos are just packed with sugar and they yeah. just kept burning. Like it, like it wasn't like a, I think it was just a smoldering burn, but they just couldn't get the, they couldn't get it out cause it was yeah. just packed in this. Because silos. they couldn't get the water down below yeah. where the burn was cause right. the, the candy or the candy, it was turned into candy. It was hardening. Yeah. Yeah, man. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, dripping off. I can't. Oh, I'm still thinking about that. Yeah, just skin, the skin just dripping off of them, coming off of you. Mm. Ultimately, eight workers died at the scene, and another six would die later of their injuries. Many more were treated for severe burns, and with some kept in medically induced comas. Yeah, and those last six were actually missing at the time, and they found them the day, the day next day. Right. The day next day. It was like they were finding <clears throat> bodies for like a week or so afterwards. Mm. Um, and the fire was still going on. The subsequent investigation primarily carried out by OSHA and the U.S. Chemical Safety and Health Board, uh, which we'll refer to as the CSB, CSB. Uh, found that there had been correspondence among plant managers of the facility dating as far back as the late 1950s, which revealed that they were aware of the danger posed by the accumulated sugar dust at, in the refinery. Moreover, the refinery had r- routinely experienced fires over the years as a result of the spilled sugar. Finally, less than two months before the explosion, an internal inspection showed that many tons of sugar were regularly spilling onto the floors. Moreover, the CSB had already issued a report on the danger posed by combustible dust in 2006 as a result of three combustible dust explosions, which had occurred in 2003. So, I mean, there was all kinds of Another signs. Case. Like, it's, not like they, it's not like they had... This was something out of the nowhere. Like the yep. people didn't know about this. It was very well documented by this point. And in oh. fact, they, the the agency in charge of dealing with this kind of stuff had issued a report just two years prior about uh, chemical uh, combustible dust and how dangerous it was and, and how efforts needed to be made by OSHA to address them. And, and they really weren't. It's the same case we hear in every uh, show like this and every episode we've done like this. The bottom line is the money. They don't care about the workers. The workers always pay for it. Well, it's just, it, <clears throat> it, it doesn't make sense. Like, well, I mean, it makes sense that they're not going to spend the money to do what they really need to do. But I just, I don't understand why you would not. Because yeah. ultimately you're going to pay more. Oh, I yeah. Mean, and they did. Oh, yeah. Uh, by it's, having an unsafe workplace where an explosion occurred. They said they had sugar knee high in some places. And we talked about it, it was everywhere. It was the, all over the place. On the SC side of the Savannah River, our side, they said they were having a sweet tea outside, and the, they saw the explosion just burst above the, the trees, and the tea got a little bit sweeter, and they didn't know what was going on. And the air, the air was just smelling sweet, like sugar. And it tasted sweet, like sugar, too, and they didn't know. It was a terrible... <laughs> Savannah, I caught. Oh, I could not catch the vapors on that one. No, it 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 wasn't very good. Mm. It is likely that despite their awareness of the combustibility <laughs> of sugar dust, the owners and operators the owners and operators of the plant were lulled into complacency by the fact that that since no major explosion had yet occurred at the site, despite previous fires, none was likely to occur. Ultimately, OSHA fined Imperial Sugar eight point eight million dollars due to its safety violations in May twenty ten. And Imperial Sugar ultimately settled paying $6 million while admitting no fault. Yeah. And then various um, of the injured and family members of the deceased um, filed lawsuits against lots of different um, Imperial Sugar and other companies that were uh, related to that operations at the site. Man, I'm telling you what, if Dixie Crystal would have been in charge at the so, time. Yeah, none of this would have happened. Never would well, have happened. But except that they were saying they, I mean, these these, pro- the these, these, these issues had been going back for a long time as far as the lax. It, it was basically an accident that was a long time in coming. But um, did you know how dangerous sugar dust was before the, before finding out about this story? 
I didn't know how dangerous sugar dust was, but I Did you know do that- know how fast sugar burns because I've seen sugar cubes on drinks and stuff. I and didn't really when, know that either. When they catch them on fire, they go, baby. Yeah, like yeah, on absinthe. Yeah, they, they, yeah, they are. They do. They're highly it, flammable. Highly flammable, um, and I can imagine if it gets on you, it sticks on you. So it's, it hurts. It's like oil. When well, yeah, it, it's on you. It's yeah. on you. It's in your skin. But just the fact that if it's in such a fine uh, powder or such a fine, this if it's ground to dust and it's in the air, that if you were in a in a in an enclosed space that's right. not ventilated. And you're in, and it was all around you. You you flick the lighter on. It would fucking explode. Did you know that? What I happened? didn't know that, but I. That's, isn't that not crazy? Yeah, it wouldn't it be crazy if there was just a little bit of sugar dust in the air, and it kind of looked like. Remember in the Green Mile when he ate the bees, and then he yeah. spit them out, and it was kind of like they were kind of like disappearing, like. Yeah, that'd be that'd be pretty like wild. If there was sugar dust and you did that, and it was like. Right. Like that. Yeah, I feel you on that. We should try that. You want to throw some um, powdered sugar in the air and see what happens? And light it on fire yeah. in the air. Yeah. Okay. Yes. All right. Um, we're pausing right now. We'll Pause. be right back. And now, on with the show. On January 15, 1919, a molasses tank at 529 Commercial Street in Boston's North End exploded under pressure, killing 21 people. A 40-foot wave of molasses buckled the elevated railroad tracks, crushed buildings, and inundated the neighborhood. We're discussing the Great Boston Molassacre. <laughs> also known as the Great Molasses Foot. Yes. But also known as... The Boston Molasses Disasters. <laughs> the molasses, the molasses <laughs> also known disasters. as, last but not least, the Great Boston Molasses Flood. Yes. So quite a few names in there, but the Boston Molassacre. The Molassacre is the best. For one. sure the best. So back in, so this was in 1919 when this happened, but back in 1915. Great year. A man named, yeah, a year when a boat rolled over in the Chicago River. <laughs> uh, back in 1915, a man named Arthur P. Gell was tasked with building a molasses storage tank in the North End neighborhood of Boston near the waterfront along Commercial Street, which was then a gritty and dirty place with the stench of a nearby slaughterhouse and the smell of manure from Snables. Ew. Gross. Uh Arthur worked for the Purity Distilling Company, a subsidiary of U.S. Industrial Alcohol, which I might here and after refer to as USIA. Please do. And I'm pretty much going to not refer to Purity. That was, that was the name of the company that owned the actual tank, but they were just a subsidiary of USIA. That's really the relevant company here. Arthur's bosses had made it clear to him that success on the project, the project of building this tank, would lead to a, a nice vice president job in New York City, which... Especially in like 1919, 1920. To which he said, 20s New York City would be awesome. To which he said, New York City. (laughs) That's right. And failure would likely mean the end of his career with the company. USIA intended to use the tank to store molasses, also known as molasses. 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 (laughs) Brought in by ship, hence its proximity to the waterfront, where it would later be transported uh, the molasses would later be transported via the nearby elevated train to their manufacturing plant, uh, plant in East Cambridge for uh, distillation. 
So a little mm. background information on molasses. It's a is, and I don't know how familiar people generally are with molasses. If I'm being can I tell you what I think it is? Go ahead. Without I mean, I should have probably looked up exactly what it is for this, but I just felt like I knew what it was already. It's just like thicker, like like liquid brown sugar. It's just liquid sugar, right? Pretty much. Yes. Okay. Ba- well, basically, it's um, well, not liquid so much, but it's made from um sugar cane. Okay. And they basically make it from sugar cane the way maple syrup is derived from um, a maple, maple tree. tree. Yeah. yeah. And I, I can't really get, I don't know a whole lot about it myself, but it's something with how they boil the cane or something. They get this and they keep boiling it uh, to get this real thick, gooey molasses. I feel like it's how you make caramel where you just cook sugar down. Until yeah. It's it, it, I think it's, and thicker. it's yeah. But at some point, yeah. molasses and not caramel. Yeah, exactly. So in molasses, it's obviously got a lot of uh, uses in terms of cooking. Um, but the U- uh, USIA was interested in the commodity for two particular reasons. It can be fermented and distilled to produce alcohol for recreational use. In particular, uh, rum is made from molasses. Nice. And it can be distilled into ethyl alcohol or ethanol for use in explosives. Or to drink also. Nice. Uh, but <laughs> either way, you can have a lot of fun. Molasses mm-hmm. is just a fun thing with a lot of well, fun we'll see about purposes. That. <laughs> we will see, won't oh, we? Oh, yes. Uh, hey, dude went surfing, all right? He did. Oh, yeah. So with World War One still raging in Europe, the likelihood of America's entry only increased. Uh, and so at this time, we're talking early 1915, uh, it was when the project to build this molasses tank began. The Lusitania was sunk by the uh, German U-boat on May 7, 1915. I want to make sure that we get an, a reference to a U-boat in every episode. I see that. Um, and now, that only further increased the likelihood of America's entry into the war. And so for this to happen right at, you know, early in the build, when he was already uh, Arthur Jell was already having delay issues getting this thing going because he had to negotiate with another company, it just put more pressure on him to get this thing done because... The, the, they wanted to get it done by the end of the year, 1915, no later than that, because mm-hmm. there's a big cargo ship of molasses coming at the end of the year from <laughs> like, Cuba. As there always is uh, yeah. every year. Everyone knows about the December 31st Cuba molasses cargo. <laughs> yeah. The, CM, I mean, the I, CMC is what yeah, they, they call it. I mean, I knew about that. I just didn't know about this. Now, was this a victory build for him? Because it's sunk a U-boat, he's like, yeah, I'm building a molasses tank. Molasses is no, coming through. No, and I'm glad you asked oh, okay. it so I can tie this all together. Uh, so the, the point being uh, the U.S. government, if it goes, if we go to war, obviously if you're making uh, ethyl ethanol for that can be used for explosives, you got a chance to make a lot of fucking money, and that's what they're thinking. Sure so do. they got it, but they got to get that tank going. They got to they got to build their molasses tank, and so oh, with a, with a U-boat sinking a ship that can that had a lot of Americans on it and pissed off a lot of Americans and made it more likely that we were going to war the pressure on Arthur Gell to get this thing done so that we can make a lot of money selling ethanol to the U S government increased. Um, so are you following the, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's where we're at right now. And then on top of that, you had the drumbeat for prohibition to ban the sale of alcohol, uh, for recreational use in the U S. And so there was a lot of pressure. Uh, there's a lot of money to be made off of molasses, but not a lot of time to make it necessarily. Yeah. I'm, so immense pressure was put on Arthur Gell to complete this project by the end of 1915. Dude, I'm starting to see like a pattern in our stories where all these 
disasters that happen is because somebody was under pressure to build something. Yes. I, I almost texted you that, super that crazy, there's super always fast. some larger thing going on. That's, that's forcing people's hand and it leads to at the death, somebody at the lower level who isn't going to stand up to yep. their bosses, the people that pay them. And so they, you know, they'll just cut corners. Say, oh, no, we're good. We got it going. We did it. We did it. Uh, and they'll cut corners instead of, you know, getting fired or looking, you know, looking bad by not doing what they needed to do. And then a bunch of people die. Every time it happens. Every time. Go ahead and listen to some more stories. You'll see. Yeah. Oh yeah. It happens constantly, constantly. And so Arthur gel, he did complete the project only. It was very rushed as a result of the pressure. Uh, one laborer even died during construction, falling 40 feet into the tank uh, with his scream echoing inside. And he stayed there too. Uh, yeah, no, no, they did have to, they, they fished him out. It took him half a day. It lo- he lost half a day of work and he was not happy about it. Um, I, and this, this all comes, I sh- I'll go ahead and mention at the top. A lot of this, all this information comes from the, uh, the book. Uh, let me make sure I get the title right. Fuck. There it is dark tide. The great Boston molasses flood of 1919 by Stephen Paleo. Mm. Came out in 2004. Um, very good book. Okay. Check it out. Check it out. Arthur Jell was a white collar worker. He's more comfortable in his Cambridge office than in the noise and bustle of a build site around all these blue collar guys. And, and a lot of them were immigrants and, you know, spoke a lot of more Italian. At this time it was a, a very Italian area of Boston. Um, Moreover, he didn't have the knowledge and expertise necessary to handle a build. Like he was not a he was not a superintendent. He's not a builder. He'd always he's been a, he was a clerical guy. He was an administrator, um, and he was put in this role that was he was just ill suited for the role. And he was working with a bunch of guys who only know about spaghetti and not any molasses. That's right. You know what I'm saying, yeah, exactly. They know a good sauce, but they don't know a good molasses sauce. On top of all that, repeated delays in the project meant that his reputation was taking a beating. By December of 1915, when it came time to test the soundness of the tank by filling it with water, Arthur Jell refused to authorize the measure to save both costs and time, and I think also because he was afraid that the thing would leak like a sieve and it, it, it would ensure that they couldn't. Because if you put molasses in there, molasses is thick, it's, it'll congeal around. I mean, if it, even if it's leaking... It won't be spewing, um, so I think that might. That's just total conjecture, but it would. But it also. It, I mean, this thing had a capacity of two point three million gallons. Yeah. Um, and so he would. It would have cost money, well, to get the water from the from the city water commission, whatever, to w- fill it up. When they did the test. test it with molasses, it did leak molasses. Well, slowly. they didn't test it. I mean, they immediately well, put it to use. Oh well. Well, sl- well it but was when leaking. they did put it molasses <laughs> yeah. in it, it leaked. And the town people, the townspeople, would literally come take it. They'd come take. take they'd it back come their take some use some it. jars and um, <laughs> get some free molasses, take it home, which is pretty cool. Um, well, it wouldn't be cool later, but it, it was cool at first. And this dude painted the tank brown. Yes, to uh, hide the the stains of the leaks. Yeah. Ugh. The tank, the tank measured 50 feet high and 90 feet in diameter and had a capacity, like we said, of 2.3 million gallons. And Crazy. it towered it towered over the surrounding structure. Uh, the, the surrounding structures. This is big. It's a big, looming uh, yeah. tank in the neighborhood. 
Yeah, you can understand why there was a literal wave when, mm-hmm. it, when it burst. So. Yeah. And on December 31st, 1915, it received its first load of molasses. Mm. And Arthur Je- Arthur Jell had met his Whoa. deadline. Molasses all over you. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. But at what cost? <laughs> hey, this isn't really Arthur Jell with me. You know what I'm saying? It does not. Isn't it funny? His name was Jell. Yeah. Within months, one could observe molasses seeping from the seams on the side of the tank. Indeed, the tank would be painted brown, as Josh mentioned, to mask the leakage. Um, more ominously, however, one could hear a low grumbling from inside the tank. Uh, as described in Paleo's book, uh, and this is paraphrasing, it was as though a, the giant steel container was alive and the witness was hearing the low growl of an angry animal. That's kind of freaky. That it, is freaky. And the locals, apparently, they just kind of got used to that as a, as, as, okay, yeah, that's the tank growling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the tank's growling again. Yeah. Just go, don't worry about it. So that was 1915. Cut to Wednesday, January 15th, 1919. An unseasonably warm day for Boston. And now let's set the scene a little bit okay. here. Boston okay. had just won the World Series. Oh. Um, the prior uh, September. Yeah. Yeah. And unusually warm would be 40 degrees for Boston. Right. It so, wasn't exactly warm, yeah. but it had been two degrees like two days yeah, before. Yeah. So 1919 Boston Red Sox, baby. Yeah. Okay. The 1918 Boston Red Sox. Of course. Uh, in World War One. Oh, of one, course. Duh. Yeah. Oh, uh, sorry. <laughs> in World War One, <laughs> well, welcome to the podcast, uh, had just ended the prior November. So everybody's feeling pretty good. Like this, what the fuck could happen to ruin our good mood? <laughs> Temperature had re- and hey, guess what? It's forty-one degrees out today, and it was two degrees uh, yesterday. So I'm feeling pretty good about all of this. And guess what else? You might just be about to say it, so I'll cut this out if you are. A warm shipment of molasses was coming in, and I don't know if you know what happens when warm molasses gets on slightly not as cold molasses, <laughs> but you're about to find out. It gets real thick up in there. The molasses tank was at capacity, <laughs> having received a shipment from Puerto Rico a few days prior. At around noon 30, uh, a wholly unnatural roar emanated from the tank, and then it burst apart. Rivets popped out like machine gun fire, and a massive wave of molasses, 13 million tons worth, moving at a speed of 35 miles per hour and with tremendous ener- energy, crashed into nearby buildings, knocking them over. The steel sections of the now broken up tank acted like artillery fire. One such one such section knocked out one of the supports of the nearby elevated train, collapsing the tracks. An oncoming train sh- screeched to a halt just in time. Another section of the tank fell on a firehouse, crushing the building. Of four firemen inside, one was killed, two injured, and the fourth thrown through the window into the water. Which is fucking insane. Can you imagine being in a building by the waterfront one second, and the next moment you're in the goddamn water? You're hit by a fucking sugar (laughs) wave. You're hit by a sugar wave. That's fucking crazy as shit. And um, you might be saying to yourself, but Matt, uh, wouldn't the molasses plug the holes? Well, I say to you, everybody else, not Matt, I'll answer for him. Molasses is 40% denser than water, so its potential energy is higher. Duh. So it moves... It, uh, as I 
what I read about it, it moved more like a lava flow or an avalanche. Mm-hmm. It moved with the force of gravity uh, more so than water, I guess. I, right. I don't know you think, I guess, water would move. like, But apparently it's more like, it's just because it's so thick, it has a lot more energy. So right. when it hits something, it's knocking it the fuck. I mean, it wasn't right. a, it not train tracks over. Those things right. are made out of steel. It's knocking buildings right. over. It's not going to go as far as water would go, travel. Because right. But the it's but energy, it, immense energy, and immense speed, forty like, percent higher than water. And that's the other thing is is you not you might not because um, when you think of this kind of stuff, you pour it out of a bottle and it moves very slowly. Um, but it was moving extremely fast, thirty five miles thirty five miles per hour. It's yeah. very fast for something with that kind of weight, that kind of density mm-hmm. to be moving. Um, it was just absolutely devastating. Uh, yeah, and remember this tank was fifty feet tall by ninety feet wide. It's a very large tank. And remember also, 2.3 million gallons just burst out of it all at once. So, yeah, you can imagine it. Imagine it. It was so and there's differences of um, reporting on the size of the wave. I don't know that really matters given you you see the outcome. The plaque at the memorial, memorial plaque for it. And that's the one you go by. It says 40 feet. Yeah. And the thing was 50 feet high, so that, that makes, sense. makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, but most of the news reports I read, the highest they give is 25 feet. I'm like, why are you shorting us 15 yeah. feet? Fuck that shit. Why are you shorting us? Cause, and I think it's, I suspect it's because they don't believe it. Like, no, that can't be right. There's pictures. And I, you know what? I, it pisses me off when people today are like, won't believe people from back then. Like, no, that can't be right. Everyone today thinks they're yeah. so fucking smart and yeah. everyone back then was a fucking idiot. Do, tell you that's not true. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't know certain things because of the progression of time, and people learn things right. over time. But they weren't fucking stupid. No. And, and if they said it was forty fucking feet. God damn it! It was forty, 40 fucking feet. feet. God damn it! And you know what else? It was two point three million gallons. Do you not know what two point three? Do you not know what one gallon is? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So uh, imagine yeah. that yeah. of syrup. Whoo! I don't even know who we're I mad at it. right now, but I'm mad at them. Everybody. Yeah. Fucking everybody. You want me to tell you what the Boston Globe said, or you got something coming? Go for it. Go for it. The Boston Globe reported that people were picked up by a rush of air and hurled many feet. Other had debris hurled at them from the rush of sweet-smelling air. A Mm. truck was picked up and hurled into the Boston Harbor. After the initial wave, the molasses became viscous, exacerbated by the cold temperatures, trapping those caught in the wave. And I think we're about to get to that, so Mm. I'm going to stop there. And so we're talking about this, the four firemen in the in the firehouse that was nearby. And I think it was actually like a water fire station because they're right, again, they're right by the harbor. That makes uh, sense. Yeah. One jagged chunk of the steel tank uh, smashed a freight house where some of the lunchers had been working. Uh, I just imagine one of those people eating lunch was like, God damn, <laughs> this lunch is so fucking salty. I just wish I had something sweet. And then a forty-foot wave of molasses, molasses. just hit him. Like, be careful what you wish for. Yeah, you just might. You just might get it. Get it. Thank you. Thank and I you. bet, I bet somebody else is like, you know what? I bet Boston won't win the World Series again for another fucking ninety years, at yeah. least close to that. Wait, oh, was it two thousand four? Oh yeah. So about what was it? Eighty-six years. I think eighty-six years. That was the right number. Yeah. So, and then I bet yes. another guy was like, dude, fucking, a fucking 40 foot wave of molasses is going to come down commercial street. 
before the yeah, before Red I believe Sox. that fucking bullshit. <laughs> well, look behind you, Bill. Look behind you, Patty. Look behind you, Patty. Or did, you said it was mostly Italians. So look behind you. Well, it's still Boston. Okay. Yeah, but yeah. Well, let's say let's go ahead and let's say an Italian name though. Uh, Antonio. There you go. Antonio. That's a good one. There, there was an Antonio, I think, and that we're gonna mention oh, it was uh, shortly. And Anthony. It was Anthony. Yeah, it was Anthony. He's our hero of the week. Yeah, <laughs> say that. In fact, we'll talk about, well, I, I want to mention, a, there was a lorry that was blasted through a wooden fence. That's Oh, cool. And I, 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 some of the information I'm getting on this is also from another, I want to make sure I, I refer, reference my uh, source. Um, Edward, uh, Edward, Park Edwards wrote a, um article in the Smithsonian. And he said so he was from Boston and he wrote this article in the 80s. But he was talking about growing up in Boston in the 50s and talking about how you could still smell molasses. On I know. On a, oh, man. And that would be cool in the 50s. Yeah. But, yeah. Know, dealing with that shit, which we'll get to in a minute on how they cleaned it up, actually, or how they tried to. I mean, God damn. It was a process, everybody. But yeah, it doesn't come up easy. <laughs> as you can it's imagine. It's very, um, yeah. It, they found it, themselves it, in a sticky situation. Yeah, one boy, Anthony, as we're talking about, Anthony D'Astasio, in one of the most badass cases of unintentional surfing in history, <laughs> rode the molasses wave until it petered out. When he heard his mother call his name, he couldn't respond as his throat was clogged with that sweet molasses. Yeah, and he he did it on purpose, though. He was mm-hmm. like, I'm having a fucking blast. I'm Teen right. Wolf right now, oh, surfing on, mm-hmm. the, on the top of the van, but it's molasses, baby, and I'm on it. And no one else in their life has ever done that shit. He's the only person in the world ever in history that's ever surfed on molasses and then almost died from it. His mama was like, Antonio, <laughs> wake up. And, and he was like, radical. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. He did today that. That was a direct quote. He survived. He was the first guy. To actually, he actually coined the phrase. He survived, but many others, both man and beast, were not so fortunate. The warmer weather uh, had made the substance particularly gooey, Ugh. and many people became trapped inside it like a real-life version of the blob and suffocated. Yes. And this is from the Boston Post. Molasses, quote, molasses waist-deep covered the street and swirled and bubbled about the wreckage. Here and there struggled to form, whether it was animal or human being was impossible to tell. Only an upheaval, a thrashing about in the sticky mass, showed where any life was. Horses died like so many flies on sticky flypaper. The more they struggled, the deeper in the mess they were ensnared. Human beings, men and women, suffered likewise. End quote. Yep, dogs, horses, people. I have guess you, actual flies got stuck in there too. Have you uh, have you seen The Blob, the movie? I have, but... Oh, That'd be a shitty way to go, yeah. man. That's kind of scary. I mean, it's freaky because there's nothing you can do. You, you can't, can't get out of it. Even if you like, you first of all, you can't really. They couldn't free themselves from. It. They're just completely right. like encased and like you. Oh, as much as you struggle, man. you can't get out of it, and you just are completely unable. I mean, you're totally suffocated. And, and at least with like, if you were drowning, you could just suck in all that water and and just fill your lungs up and maybe go quicker. Oh, but I ask you this: which way tastes better? That's so, true. Could you eat your way out? Hmm. Or maybe just lick on that molasses. I know who could eat their way out. Diamond Jim Brady, baby. Oh yeah. Okay. I mean, would take it down. He it's took the whole he was wave probably, down. Where was he? Where was he? He was around back then too. Damn, fucker. Well, you said twenty-one Diamond, people. Diamond died. Jim could have taken care of all that. Twenty-one people died, right? Yep. Twenty-one and people and another hundred fifty uh, injured. Okay. Hundred fifty. I mean, man. 
Yeah, rescuers had a difficult time managing their way through the molasses, which, uh, as Josh mentioned, thickened as the evening came and the temperatures dropped. So, I mean, it's just, again, as we often see, it's a perfect storm of, of, of issues. Yeah. Uh, many of the victims were so thickly coated in the goo, they were hard to identify. Uh, and as we said, 21 people killed, another 150 injured. Uh, litigation took six years, involved some 3,000 witnesses, and so many lawyers that the courtroom couldn't hold them all. <laughs> In the end, uh, USIA was found responsible, even though they tried to blame it on anarchists yeah, uh, bombing it, which was not actually a totally ridiculous. It's It sounds ridiculous today, but it's, it was not ridiculous then. Sure. This is back when like communists and Bolsheviks were like crazy, like crazy as shit, and they would, they would like bomb stuff. Um, I guess they kind of still are like that. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is when that was a genuine threat. Uh, and that's what they tried to say, but no, it was, it was found all the, in fact, most of what we know about what happened and how it went wrong, how the build went and all this stuff comes from, uh, all the litigation. And it's a landmark case yeah. in, in Massachusetts. Yeah. A lot of things changed after that. A lot of legislation. Yeah, as far as, uh, inter- I think as far as enterprise li- liability or class action cases, that sort of thing, which I know legal, you know, stuff is incredibly interesting to everybody. Yeah, of course. But, um, so everyone, so I think of the victims, they wind up getting, uh, about $7,000. They got, let's see, I got it right here. Each relative of the living or the, I'm sorry, why would they get it? Each relative of the killed received $7,000 a piece, which is $103,000. They paid a total of, not of today's money, $9.26 million out. So they paid for it. Yep. And what they found out in the litigation was a few, as far as what, why did this happen? The steel used to construct the tank was only half as thick mm-hmm. as it needed to be given the size of the tank. And the steel, the particular steel used was brittle. They needed manganese with manganese. Yep. Um, just, just cool. I mean, why would you not put manganese in your steel? Know, like, that's fucking whack. He, uh, um, this guy's an asshole author, Joe. He sucks. He said no uh, manganese for me. Yeah. Um, the rivets weren't, I think the rivets were not the right, they were not big enough or they just weren't the right kind of rivets for what they were trying to use it for. A lot of the stress fractures were found near those, mm-hmm. uh, near uh, around the rivet points. And like we mentioned, when it, when it went, the rivets were, firing off like machine gun. I think it killed some people. I think that's how some of the people died um, was being hit by those things, or at least I'm sure that's how some people were injured. Um, and then you have the actual chemistry of the molasses itself. Uh, so the warmer weather had warmed the molasses in the tank, uh, which was unusual for the time. And then they got this nice warm delivery from Puerto Rico mm. put into the tank. And that Puerto, Puerto Rican molasses, warm Puerto Rican molasses, and um, it just uh, it fermented a little too much. It got a little too hot in there. It boiled a little too much, a little too much mm-hmm. grumbling, and the whole fucking thing. Puerto uh, Ricans are hot blooded. You know just, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They mix that hot blooded Puerto Rican with that. Um, well, with with a little hot blooded Bostonian. Oh yeah. And it just got, and it just went off in there. It just went off. Yeah. It went. Yeah. It went off. In fact, that is uh, that's quoting from the court's opinion. Uh, it went off in there. <laughs> and so rescue workers and cleanup crews, uh, they, uh, as they were um, trying to clean the mess up, they heard the church bells suddenly ringing all over downtown Boston the next day. 
And they were totally puzzled by that. And as it turned out, it was because the 18th Amendment had been passed, um, which prohibited the sale of alcohol. Um, which now it was, you know, the famous prohibition, it didn't, it would not take effect for another year. Um, but it was ratified the very next day. Um, and then Josh, do you want to talk about the cleanup effort? Yeah. So as you can imagine, um, 116, by the way, 116 cadets came from, um, the SS Nantucket nearby to help with the rescue, but they, I mean, some of them were ended up being waist deep and stuck themselves. Um, so they couldn't really help much. So as you can imagine, yeah, I, I think some of the people that were rescuers kind of had to get rescued, themselves. rescued themselves. They were basically yeah. walking into like quicksand and yeah. like they, so That's they wound exactly up having, right. to, having to get pulled out. So, so as you can imagine, um, after, okay. So Bostonians were tracking this shit everywhere. The trains, the, the T station, the the subway station, the the literal like handrails of everywhere, the everything, telephones, everything, everything was sticky to the touch. Was sticky, so they used um, salt water and sand to absorb most of it. And as Matt was saying earlier, it was so much, of course, two point three million gallons that it stained <laughs> everywhere it touched, mm-hmm. and it smelled like um, you know molasses on hot summer days for a long, long time after that. It took several hundred people um and many many weeks to clean it up and even then the cleanup went on and on and on because some of the suburbs got it from people coming and tracking it back and it just was fucking everywhere they were literally in a sticky situation yeah and i think uh i read in that one the smithsonian article uh that you could see where the water line the water line of the of the, <laughs> the, the wave on the buildings I for that's for decades thereafter but yeah, on a, on a warm day in Boston, up through, I don't know how long, but at least the fifties, probably into the sixties. I don't know. Not how, today, I guess. Not so much today. Yeah. Uh, well, some some claim, oh. but uh, on a warm day, you could you could smell it, and, and it was pretty obvious back then. He was saying like it was just a common. Oh, I'm smell. sure it was. Yeah. Like sure. back then, it wasn't yeah. even like on a warm day. You could it's just like yeah, you can smell it. You can smell a lot. It. Um, you might be saying to yourself too, like 35 miles an hour, that's impossible. But did you know that in 2016, okay. Yeah. A group it, of Harvard scientists. That's the nice thing about being yeah. in Boston. You got Harvard yeah. right fucking there. They'll be like, all right, we'll, they basically recreated we'll it and said, yeah, it's credible. It was definitely at least 35 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. So there you go. That's right. Um, you got anything else? I think that's about all I got. Let me see here. Um, I got a couple of other bizarre floods that I just happened to come across in doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, not much information on some of them, except for one that we might cover later, but it'll be way later. So I just want to mention it. There was an actual another molasses spill, if you can believe it. it was in- I can believe it. <laughs> because they still fucking put it in vats, I guess, that still bust open. It was the Honolulu. It was in Honolulu, Hawaii in September of 2013. Oh shit! Yep. Like recently, spilled by a fault, or is caused by a faulty pipe, spilled molasses into the ocean, and forty percent thicker, it sank right to the bottom, and everything it touched—wildlife or, or sea, aquatic life, aquatic life—went with it straight to the bottom of the ocean. So that's pretty crazy. That is crazy. I've, I talked about this one with you the other the other night, but uh, the London beer flood in October of eighteen fourteen. Um, Mew and Co's Horseshoe Brewery. Oh God, 
Mew, Say it right. Mew and Co.'s Horseshoe Brewery in London um, is where this happened. A 22-foot-tall wooden vat full of porter beer, so this is darker beer, burst and sent 388,000 gallons of beer into the street. Damn. Eight people were killed, including... Now, now <laughs> I couldn't believe this when I, was, when I saw this shit. Eight people were killed, including five who were actually at a funeral for a two-year-old boy, if you could, who had been who had been killed in the prior beer flood? <laughs> that's that fucked so, up. I'm sorry, I'm laughing, but that's just that's fucking fucked crazy. up, man. Can you? No, if the boy had been killed in the molasses day, day explosion, you're just at a fucking funeral, and you're just like, oh man, I could use a beer right now. <laughs> and then last but not least, man, I could use a nice dark stout porter. I could use a porter. I could use specifically a lot of porter right now. I'm mourning this guy's death. It was for a two year old boy too. The the funeral was for a two year old boy, so that was kinda <laughs> What kind of luck do you have, man? You you would never believe that in a billion years. <laughs> oh man. But uh one more. The Pepsi fruit juice flood of April two thousand seventeen. So not that long ago, four years Pepsi ago. Pepsi <laughs> fruit juice. Okay, so in April two thousand seventeen, seven point four million gallons of fruit and veggie juice burst into the streets of Lebedian, Russia, caused by the roof collapse, a sudden roof collapse of the Pepsi warehouse. They don't know what caused it. It's probably old. Yeah. Um, most of the juice spilled into the nearby Don River. But guess what? No damage was done, and all the aquatic life fucking loved it. <laughs> they had a little treat for the day, and I'm not kidding about that. That's and how you, that's how they roll in the Don River. <laughs> it says subsequent show, study showed. No damage to aquatic ecosystem. No damage to humans. It smelled great for a little while. And Pepsi apologized and paid for everything yeah. to be rebuilt. Just freshen the place. <laughs> That's all it did. So those are pretty funny. Um, and well, not one of them, but you know. No, they were all funny. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, You're right. Yeah. And it's, it, I meant to tie, I meant to tie around the um, mentioning how shitty the smell of Commercial Street was at the time. And set up the. <laughs> I'm sure at one point somebody was like, you know what? It, this fucking street smells like shit. I just wish it would smell <laughs> sweeter. I just wanted it to smell so much sweeter. And then he got hit with a 40 foot wave of molasses. Yeah, you know it smelled like shit because there was no plumbing or anything. So well, they had they had stables nearby. This is a very busy area, so they had stables nearby, and they had a slaughterhouse mm-hmm. uh, right nearby. Um, it's right, you know, it's right by the waterfront, it's right by the harbor, so it's oh, yeah. real busy. Oh, did you- real shitty smelling. Did you hear about the the family of moles? No. Okay. There's a family of moles, right? Just stay with me on this one. Okay. Family of moles, mom, dad, oh baby mole. <laughs> you, already, <laughs> you already guessed the fucking outcome yeah. before I even said it. The the mom mole <laughs> goes to the hold and she's she says, I smell something sweet. Um oh, and it happened to be lavender. It's a spring nice spring day. The father said, I want to smell something sweet. So he pushes his little head up into the hole and they're nice and cuddly together. And he says, oh, I smell the lavender too. And the baby, of course, wants to get up there with mom and dad, but he can't do it. So he's keep pushing and pushing. Fuck. Get this over with, please. And the, the, please get this over with. The baby says, all I can smell is molasses. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you like you that joke. You don't You don't. <laughs> You don't have to do anything. Uh, but you, you don't have to sign off or anything. Okay. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> Although I guess, how do we do? We want to wrap up a particular. We'll just, yeah, we'll just do this. Hey guys, um, 
So that that, that, that was it. That was the end that of that. Was, that was the Boston molasker. Oh, I forgot that we called it that at the beginning. I'm still looking at Boston molasses. Well, we are calling it Boston molasses. I got it in my I got it in my files as Boston molasses flood, but Boston molasses is more fun. Yes. You know what Wouldn't you said earlier? Be... You said a mass a massive molasses wave. No, a massive wave of molasses. That sounds ma- fucking a awesome. Massive wave of I molasses. thought you were about to start freestyle. <laughs> I was about you just start spitting. I thought you were about to start, start spitting, spitting that bars that molasses. Dirt. Dirt molasses. All right, and that's it for us. Thank you so much for listening to this extra large episode of Macabre Reality True Stories of Everyday Horror. We hope you enjoyed a little sucrose for comfort. Stay safe and be careful not to find yourself in your own macabre reality. Bye. Say bye, Matt. Peace.